Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Thank you again for coming out. You could have been other places tonight, like hunkered down in your dorm room from the tornado warning, or at the Pete Davidson show in Jorgensen. You could have let him yell at you for using a smartphone. If you did, you guys hear about that? Anybody know that? He like yeah. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, you could be a lot of other places, but you're here, and I'm really glad. I'm really thankful that you came. And uh, Riley did a great job of introducing what RUF is to us. And uh, in RUF, what we do, uh, we spend a lot of time looking at the Bible in different ways. And I just wanted to highlight quickly, uh, we're going to start off uh, small group Bible studies next week. And there's a few times that we're working on. Uh, Mondays at 5 is kind of like a main time where we'll have a guys and girls group meeting separately from each other. But uh, you know, maybe everyone can meet up for dinner afterwards or something like that. And uh, it's looking like we'll also have a lunchtime study. Uh, so if you're interested, if you're like 5 o'clock, not a great time for me. Uh, lunchtime, though, would be great. Uh, please let me know. And uh, also, uh, guys, if you can't make Mondays, but Tuesdays is good, we'll do that too. So a lot of different opportunities to kind of connect with other students and uh, study the Bible together, which is really important. Uh, So please take advantage of that. And uh, this, though, is large group. In a large group, we also look at the Bible, uh, but I lead us through a passage each week. And uh, this semester, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark's Gospel uh, really highlights specifically this idea that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, what we're calling our series, that it's worth following Jesus because he's everything. And uh, our passage tonight will get at that. And so uh, it's a little longer than we normally look at, but uh, bear with me as we read uh, this important part, at the intro- still in the introduction of Mark's gospel, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So this is Mark 1, starting in verse 14. Uh, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. 
He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Uh, A lot there. Let me pray before we begin to examine it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Uh, Thank you for this time together. And I pray that no matter who we are and where we come from tonight, that you would uh, bless the study of your word and change our hearts through it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Anybody here a golf fan by any chance? One golf fan in the back. Great. Um, I'm not a golf fan, really, but a friend of mine who was reading a book about sports psychology told me the story about a golfer from like before any of us were born, uh, late 70s. Uh, his name was Seve Ballesteros, a uh, Spanish golfer who was really good in his day. And he won the Masters even a couple of times. And uh, the Masters is like the biggest, some say the most important golf tournament that there is. And he won. And uh, in this book about sports psychology, it was talking about how he was able to win. And something he did was that Leading up to it, he had a recording made of a fake news broadcast about how he had won the Masters. And so, like, with headphones, the whole time he was training leading up to this tournament, he was listening to the news broadcast as if he had already won. And it worked. Like, he won that tournament after that strategy of just, like, you know, imagining that it had already been won. And obviously it helped that he was already, like, a professional golfer, but uh, it worked. And uh, it's something he wanted so badly, uh, and he was able to kind of see it even, hear it, and it worked. And I want you to think about that in your own life uh, in terms of, you know, what do you, you know, if you could do the headphone thing, what would be on your headphones Uh, What is your life about? Or what do you long for? What's that thing that you long for with such intensity that if that's that's what it took, like what would be playing on your headphones tonight? Uh, Maybe it's, you know, he got the 4.0, it's done. Or maybe it's, you know, he has a comfortable life and everything is going smoothly and he's financially, she's financially secure. Or maybe it's uh, she found that special someone, he found that special someone and it's done and they're together forever. I wonder what it would be for you. Um, what do you long for with that kind of intensity? And uh, today I want to look at what Jesus says our life should be about. And he says it at the beginning of our passage actually. 
when he comes on the scene here in Galilee, uh, it says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. Repent, which means to turn, turn away from where you're going, do a 180 and believe in the gospel. And I want to just begin by thinking of the, what, what is the kingdom that he's talking about here. Um, the kingdom, he's saying, he shows up, he says, the kingdom is at hand. And he's hearkening back to the whole Bible, the whole story of the Old Testament. For instance, where God created a wonderful world and God was the king. And if, you, if you've read through Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you know that God gives mankind the awe-inspiring task of representing him as his rule, like vice rulers in his kingdom. And what happens instead is treason. And his people turn away from him and everything falls apart. And the rest of the story is this story of God reclaiming his kingdom. And, uh, and it's reclaiming it from this tendency that we all have to want to be the king instead of God. Our tendency is to build our own kingdom. Our tendency is to be self-absorbed. And, you know, I can do great things sometimes, but it usually ends up being about me. I usually try to end up saving my own skin in the end. And when life is about self-promotion and self-preservation, it usually starts to feel kind of empty. Maybe you know the emptiness of, like, arriving at a milestone and being like, that was it? Like... You got into college and now you're here and it doesn't feel like probably that big of a deal anymore, right? Or you got your driver's license and it felt normal like the next day or whatever milestone uh, there might be for you. And the solution to that, the solution to emptiness in life is the gospel. It's good news that God declares to us and where religion would provide rules like do better Uh, The Bible provides this gospel. Let this news about Jesus being the king transform you. That's saying there's an old way that leads to emptiness. We feel that often. But Jesus is ushering in a new reality where there's fullness of life. The gospel is that Jesus is the king. He's come to fix our world. And what I want to look at tonight in this passage is what do we learn about what he's doing that has the power to change us at our core. And so I want to look at three things. The extent of his call, the extent of his authority, and the extent of his love. So first of all, let's look at the extent of his call. This passage starts with him walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon and Andrew fishing. And he says, follow me. And they, it says they immediately follow. And he sees James and John a little ways further, and he says, follow me. He says, leave your father and follow me. Uh, So they drop their work, they abandon their family connections, and they go. And I want us to think about what that means for us, because this is a passage that always kind of scared me a little bit. I was like, oh, no. Like, what do I have? Is this saying, like, I have to quit school and be a missionary or something? Like, what does it mean for me? And what we need to see is that uh, the, the things that he asks them to leave are really just sources of security. Uh, in that time, your family and your work, wherever, like that was like, we leave our families gladly and go to college, right? And uh, people change jobs all the time. But then your security, like that was the one thing that you could uh, find security in. And so what it means for us is that if you say, 
I'll follow you, Jesus, if... And whatever's on the other side of that if is what you're really following. Uh, if you say, you know, like, I'll follow you if I can be financially comfortable. What that means is you just, you're following financial comfort. Uh, you're not following Jesus, you're following security. Uh, I'll follow you, Jesus, if I can still live the ways I want to live, though. Uh, you're not actually following Jesus, you're following autonomy and freedom. Uh, so the call of Jesus means that the gospel becomes this lens that we just look through everything with. Uh, so think about something like grades, right? We all think about grades here at UConn. It's a big deal. Uh, something we're all thinking about. And think about what, what does Jesus have to say about that? It's like Jesus probably wants us to do well in school. Grades are a good thing, good grades. But what Mark is trying to show us is that there's a way in which you can pursue good grades where what you're really pursuing, you know, like you could say, like, you know, I'm pursuing Jesus and good grades, but what you're really just pursuing is doing well and not pursuing Jesus at all. Or think about like a relationship, like Jesus is pro-relationships. Uh, but when we say, you know, there's, a, there's this approach to relationships that kind of makes the relationship important and... Uh, we kind of say, I'll pursue this relationship as long, you know, and I'll pursue Jesus as long as it doesn't get in the way of this relationship. And so at the onset, we're faced with this question of what are you really, really following? And, there's a, and the bigger question is, are you living in reality when you do that? Uh, here in his call, Jesus is saying work, family, success, security, those things are good. But reality, like ultimate reality, he's saying, is me. You need to follow me. You need to listen to me. But this text isn't so much about our responsibilities as it is how great the call is. Think about that. What kind of person could say to some fishermen, follow me, and they would actually do it? Like they would immediately drop their nets and follow him. And that's where we get to the second point. So the extent of his call and now the extent of his authority. And this is where the passage gets really interesting because he goes to this city called Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, still there today. You could visit it. And he go, it's on the Sabbath and he goes into the synagogue, which is like their version of church, except it was a little different because in their synagogue, anyone, any man could stand up and kind of teach. And so it was customary for different men to stand up and talk. And so Jesus starts talking and everyone who hears him is like, whoa, this is amazing. Like he, this guy seems to actually know what he's talking about. And they're astonished at that. And as if that weren't enough, that's interrupted by this like demon possessed man. And Jesus is like talking to the demon and the demon seems to know that he's the holy one of God. And the people respond and they just say, this is a new teaching with authority. Like, who is this guy? And because Jesus shows that he has authority over their religious leaders because he, like, can, knows what he talks about more than they do. And he even shows that he has authority over supernatural power. And because, you know, like, what people do and say gives authority, or what they do gives authority to what they say. For instance, imagine for a second that you saw a flyer and it said, Lucas Dorado, me, is giving business tips in Jorgensen this week. Would you attend? 
no, right? No one would come. Like three people would come and they would be feeling sorry for me or something like that. But, you know, if it was like this weekend at Jorgensen, Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, is going to be giving business tips, like everyone would probably want to hear that, right? Because he has proven that he know like he knows what he's talking about. He says like amazing things and he's done amazing things. And that's what Jesus is doing. That's what Jesus is like here. Um, and if Jesus is who he says he is here, like if this is real, if he's who he says he is, then he has to be everything. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who's a great Christian writer at the Chronicles of Narnia and many other great books, uh, says this about it. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You see what he's saying there in that passage? He's saying, like, what doesn't make sense is, like, saying, oh, that's good, but I'm not going to follow. Like, this is real, but I'm not going to follow him. Because Jesus said things that were ultimate, like, I'm the son of God, uh, like rising from the dead. Uh, So why should you pursue and obey Jesus? Like, why should you listen to what he has to say about sex? Because he created it. He knows how it's supposed to be. Uh, Why should you listen to what he says about money and be generous? Uh, Because everything in this world is his. Like, these are the claims that he makes. And if you don't believe those claims, like... I'm glad you're here. You're always welcome here, and no matter what you believe. But uh, what I want us to see tonight is it doesn't make sense to say, yes, Jesus is God, and then be like, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to listen to some of what he says, but not everything. Um, so how can you put Jesus, like, how can you devote your life to him? How can you actually take this call and do it like how can you follow him even when it's hard and this is where we get to the extent of his love that we see in this passage Um, at the end of this passage uh, jesus leaves the synagogue and he goes to simon and andrew's house so he's got four disciples now and they're with them and simon's mother mother mother-in-law is sick and he heals her and then that evening at sundown everyone starts to show up and jesus just keeps healing like, so in his mercy, he feels bad for these people that have, live in this broken world, and he heals them uh, well into the night. So he goes to bed late, and he wakes up. It says he wakes up while it's still dark out. Anybody ever woken up while it's still dark out? How does it feel? Not good, right? Like, when you wake up, your alarm goes off, and it's still dark. It's kind of the worst, right? And uh, so and Jesus felt that. Like, Jesus was a man... He wasn't, like, using his superhuman God powers to not feel tired because he had to be completely a man to save us. And so, uh, nevertheless, he wakes up when it's dark and he goes off to pray uh, because he's so connected to his father that he, uh, it's so vital. His mission is from his father that he goes and prays and his disciples find him. And they're like, where are you? Where were you? What are you doing? And at that point, he's like, all right, let's go. 
Let's go to the next town. Now, it would be easy to look at that, Jesus, and be like, man, do I fall short of that, right? Like, I never wake up early. I hardly ever pray. My life is a lot about me, and maybe I got to get my act together. But I want us to think of it in a little different way than that. Uh, What if instead of doing that, you begin to see yourself as one of those poor, sick people that Jesus relentlessly pursues? Do you know that Jesus, like, that's just what he's like toward his people? He pursues us intensely. Do you know that he's happy to serve you? Do you know that he longs to be with you, even though he sees all the ways that we make life about us? He sees all the ways that we build our own kingdom, and it's really, I can make it look about him, but it's really about me. He sees it all, and yet he's intent on pursuing us. What's your life about? The reason your life needs to be about him is because he is the only one who says, my life is about you. When God was writing the story of the world, Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll come to earth. I'll save them. I'll die for them if if I can stay with my father. No, he was abandoned by his father. He said, "I'll I'll die for them if I can keep my good reputation. Nope. Everyone hated him. Most people still hate him. Uh, He said, I'll die for them if I can live comfortably. Nope, he was poor and homeless. He said, I'll die for them if I can have good relationships. Nope, everyone misunderstood, his best friends misunderstood him and abandoned him. Instead of all those things, he said, I'll do it if I can be with them forever, with us. If I can make them beautiful forever, I will do it. And so he does. And if you know that about Jesus, like that's the gospel that if it sinks into your heart, you will become someone who's on this mission too. You'll delight to give up time, money, status, comfort, whatever, for the sake of this beautiful mission that Jesus is on. A while back, I saw a documentary called Wasteland about uh, an artist from Brazil. And I'm from Brazil originally, so it interested me. And this artist from Brazil went, but he is based in London, but he went back to Brazil and he encountered a group of people that their whole lifestyle was just, they were trash pickers. And so they lived at, like right near a dump and every time like a new load of trash came in, uh, they would come and they would pick through it to find like recyclable materials that had gone in there that could be sold for like two cents or five cents or whatever. And that was like their, like these people, that was their life every day. And, and so this artist went and he started, he brought his camera and he took portraits of some of these people. And then uh, he projected some of the portraits on like a warehouse floor, like a room as big as this from above. And, he, and then he, like the picture is projected down and he started to find bits of trash from the dump. And he employed all these people to help him find trash to like match up with the colors that are now on the floor on this picture so like you know if it was a woman with black hair he was like you know find a bunch of like uh black tape and other things that are black and and so he fills it out like a mosaic until the whole picture is covered in trash that matches the color 
And then he takes a photograph, so he turns the projector off, and what's there is just this trash mosaic of this you know, beautiful picture of a woman or a man. And he takes a picture of the mosaic, and he goes to London, to his galleries, and he sells them for like $10,000 a piece. And they're amazing. The work is incredible. What a picture of what Jesus is doing with us. Like he looks, Jesus looks down into the places in your heart where if anyone looked there, they would say, this is trash. Ew. And he says, no, bring it to me. I can make this beautiful. I can make them beautiful. So when Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, that's what he's talking about. true life will only be found when Jesus, when you get caught up in this kingdom where you say, yes, Jesus is the king. He is what matters. That's what my life is now about. And you begin to join him on this mission to expand the kingdom. God's kingdom is anywhere where he is king, where he's recognized as king. Uh, What are you living for today that's not Jesus? What are you living for today that's not Jesus, that's really wearing you out and making life worse? Whatever it is, repent and believe the gospel. Trust in this king. Let's pray and close.